Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 20 of the NYC Real Estate Podcast. I'm Mark Levine, your host, and this is presented by EBMG. And EBMG is uh, the property management company that I am a part of, and we manage about 175 buildings in the New York City area. And uh, just a quick reminder, you can always email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and share it to the podcast. And today we're here with Greg Quatlander, the president of New York Plumbing. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so we've been working together for a lot of years on various plumbing issues and gas issues in a variety of our buildings. So I, I wanted to have you come in to talk about um, specifically Local Law 152 of 2016, which is the periodic gas testing, which we're ramping up for, which starts next year in 2020. We're at the end of 2019 at this taping. Um, before we kind of dive into that, if you want to, uh, intro yourself and tell everybody about you and how you got into this business and you are a licensed plumber, um, operating your own company. So that's uh, very interesting to me. Good morning, Mark. I'm Greg Quatlander, president of New York plumbing licensed master plumber. We run an organization, which is a family owned organization for three generations. We have over 210 plumbers in our employee and we wow. work in the five boroughs all of New Jersey, Connecticut, all of Long Island, Westchester. It's a big operation. Yes, it is. How did you get into it? Uh, it's family owned. So uh, my cousins have run it and I've uh, been in here since I've been 17. Wow. Oh, we won't ask how old you are now. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, okay. So with Local Law 152, um, we basically saw that in 2020, it starts where we have to do periodic gas testing for all buildings within the five boroughs. Um, the way that we've tracked it out now is they've come back and said it's in groups by community board numbers. And let me just run through the community board numbers. So basically, if you're in any borough and you have a, this specific community board number for your residential building, you uh, have to have this test. And we'll go through the test and what it entails. Um, but let me break up the group. So starting in 2020, it's community boards numbers 1, 3, and 10. So that's 1, 3, and 10, and all five boroughs have to file it in 2020, and then in 2024, and then 2028. And then we have, uh, oh, it got cut off, my group two. My group two numbers got cut off of my printout that I did. Do you have that info right here? You probably do. Let me jump ahead to group three while we're talking about this. That starts in 2022. Oh, you got it. Great. Thanks. So in 2021, it's groups uh, building community board numbers 2, 5, 7, 13, and 18 in all boroughs. And then in 2022, it's 4, 6, 8, 9, and 16 in all boroughs. And then starting in 2023, and then 2027, and then 2031, it goes community board numbers 11, 12, 14, 15, and 17. So we, when we first saw the law come out, we were all concerned that it would be a pressure test, which would probably fail every building, um, especially those that are like 50, 60 years old to try to sustain a certain pressure. But we found out since that it's going to be a handheld portable device. So you're the expert. I'm going to let you describe the actual device and the pro maybe describe the, the device, your procedure in obtaining the device and how you're using it. All right. So let's start with why we have to do this. Yeah. All the years you've ever been around, you always hear about gas explosions, gas problems. We've had some major issues in the last 10 years. 
You've had a large gas explosion up on Park Avenue and 132nd Street where multiple people died. Right. You had the gas explosion down on the Lower East Side where multiple people died. You also had the issue up in Massachusetts where somebody put high-pressure gas into a low-pressure gas line and all those houses had the explosions. I remember that. Because the gas was being forced out through the old pilot lights and the stoves and an ignition started multiple fires in multiple houses. Wow. All of these things have brought about new legislation. One is for the utilities that they have what they call a Task 87 operator license now, which is the requirement for testing of all gas piping from where it enters the building from the utility Mm -hmm. to the gas meters. Okay. Many of the buildings already have experienced the utilities coming out, scheduling an inspection, walking into the building with their subcontractor or with the utility, whether it's National Grid or Con Edison, and doing an actual pressure and soap test of the piping between the foundation wall and the gas meters. Can you explain, you mentioned a soap test, and this is interesting, if you could just explain the process of a soap test. Okay. Most gas piping is actually a series of threaded pipes, which are screwed together to make a section of piping. You take a soapy solution, which is either regular dish soap and water, or an actual leak detection fluid that goes into a spray bottle. And you take it and you spray the solution directly onto the threaded connection of the piping. If there's any sort of gas leakage Mm -hmm. out of that threaded joint, soap bubbles actually begin to bubble at that location so you know there's a gas leak. So the utilities have been coming out and testing the piping between the foundation wall and the meters by doing a soapy solution. They're using their handheld volatile gas detectors. Mm -hmm. And they're also looking at the condition of the piping and actually grading the piping on a scale of one to four because they're looking to see, has water been leaking into the foundation wall? Is there water leaking through a vaulted sidewalk for those buildings in Manhattan that have it? And has the water corroded the piping at all on the gas line? Mm -hmm. Because they want to have this addressed and replaced at any time. If leaks are found, gas is shut off to that building until repairs and replacement are being done. Yeah. So for the outside piping and the piping to the meters, it's called the Task 87. Now to build an apartment, City of New York has gotten involved, and they want to worry about all the piping inside the building. Mm -hmm. In 2016, they enacted local law number 152, which requires the periodic testing of all interior accessible gas piping. So what that means is from every bit of pipe, from the outlet of a gas meter to the point where the piping goes vertically into the ceiling to feed apartments, mm-hmm. the gas piping has to be checked. Okay. It has, has to be checked multiple ways. Let's go through that. It has to be checked on the same four-point scale that the utilities have. A licensed plumber is going to come in and he's going to visually look at every inch of pipe, and he's going to grade it on a scale of one to four. Is it in good condition, poor condition? Is it in okay condition? Or is there a real problem with it that they got to notify somebody immediately because it's that corroded? In addition, 
they're going to be doing a test of every single joint, threaded joint that there is on the gas line, and they're actually going to use a handheld gas detector. Now, these gas detectors that they're using for this testing procedure are mandated by the Department of Buildings. They're made by one manufacturer, and it's actually can register gas leaks down to one-tenth of one percent leaking out of a threaded joint. And what are we smelling when when we go into a gas room or a gas meter room and we smell gas, what's the percentage typically that it shows up in volume of, you know, it's it's there through our senses. It's not going to be one-tenth of one percent. Is it closer to two percent, three percent, five percent? What What's the marker there? Just to show how sensitive these readers are. The average human smells gas when it's 2% saturation in an area. Right. These handheld detectors go down to less than 1% to turn around and pick up for a gas leak. So now a plumber is going to enter your building and they are physically going to take this gas detector with this extension wand that's on it and they have to hold it six inches above each one of the joints and move a circular motion all the way around each joint and continue to each and every accessible joint, whether it's basement, sub-basement, cellar, first floor. They are not entering tenant apartments right. to do any testing. This is everything that's accessible. Right. Are we? So we're not testing... Um on the gas stove side, we're not testing the gas piping that goes into the valves and the walls. So, because that could be construed as accessible, but it's not accessible because you can't get into the apartment without access. What's considered accessible is if you have a drop ceiling in the lobby mm -hmm. and there's open uh, access doors and hatchways that you can open to get up in there, yeah. that's accessible. If you have garden apartments and you have a crawl space mm -hmm. that has the outside entrance windows, that's accessible. Apartments themselves are not going to be entered. The piping behind the stove is not going to be tested. This is for the main distribution right. accessible piping. So when we do pressure testing in certain cases, and it's not part of this local law 152, but when we do pressure testing, um, painted pipes get a higher pressure test than non-painted pipes. Well, paint, how, how are you seeing this sensor test with painted pipes versus not painted pipes? Is it the same procedure? Okay. So if you're doing any sort of an inspection or a gas or building, gas to a building gets shut down for any reason. There are test mediums which have to be taken upon, which are required by the building department. When gas enters an average building, it enters at a quarter pound of pressure. Mm -hmm. Gas is free flowing. If you exhale, that's basically a quarter pound of pressure and that's what runs to most gas lines that run to all the apartments and stoves and ovens. When you have a gas shut down in a building, the minimum test pressure that has to be utilized as required by the Department of Buildings is three pounds of pressure. You are increasing the test pressure in the pipe by 600 times by raising it to three pounds. The reason you have this is you want to bring about and identify any other leaks which are present, any potential leaks which are present. Now, test pressures change. 
if you have piping that runs through the basement of a building, it's all been painted yellow. Right. That's considered having a coating on the piping. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of being required for a three-pound test pressure, the Department of Buildings is requiring a 90-pound test pressure because of the painted coating. Which is 360 times the actual normal flow. Yes. What happens is, anytime you do these tests, at either three pounds or 90 pounds, you create and identify leaks that no one's ever smelled gas for before. Mm-hmm. They might not even show up on an, a bubble test with the soapy or leak detection solution right. because they weren't leaking. When you have, and in, in if you think about all the ages of the buildings here in Manhattan and out in all the outer boroughs, they're all 40, 50, 60, 100-year-old buildings that have gas piping in it. When you have two pieces of gas pipe and you go to put them together, you use a liquid-based compound on the threads and the reason the compounds there is in case there's any imperfections in the threads they put the compound on there and they screw the piece of pipe together that's great 10 years go by 20 years go by 30 years go by next thing you know this compound is dried out over time it's cracked it's just sitting there it's what's holding back this pressure it holds back quarter pound not a problem Mm -hmm. but you put in a three pound test Next thing you know, you have leaks all over the place that were never there before. And that's the reason why the building department went to that test pressure, because they want to identify any potentials of a building shut down. So on this um, local L-152 tests, you're doing a sensor test, which is specially provided by a specific manufacturer to you as a licensed plumber who's allowed to do this in the city of New York. You're also doing a visual inspection of all the pipes to make sure that they're all in good condition And you're also looking at just the general area to make sure that there's no circumstances that could be degrading the pipes themselves, I imagine. And then you're also photographing. As part of this local 152 inspection, you have to do an entire report. The report is, has to go on file with the building Mm -hmm. itself and along with the building department for a period of 10 years. Right. So, Whatever inspection you do now, in four years again, when the cycle goes on, Mm -hmm. and if something changes, let's say a piece of pipe that wasn't noted in the original inspection, all of a sudden you have something that's heavily corroded, the question is going to be why? What happened over a four-year period? Or is there a leak that occurred in the building? Well, why did it leak and what was it picked up? So as part of this local Law 152 inspection, you're going to do photographs or video or some sort of documentation of all the existing piping and the conditions that there are. Mm. As part of the form that you're filing with the building department, you have to note if there's areas of corrosion, you have to mark where they are. It's in storage room number one in the cellar. The area is heavily pitted because it's uh, very humid in the room and is water that runs through the floor in the room for whatever reason. Because they want to be able to make sure that moving forward, there's some sort of continuance that the quality is being done by the inspections. Now, also with part of these inspections, the plumber is signing off and sealing the document saying, I personally did this inspection or one of my staff had done this inspection. Then it's being passed on to a competent individual, whether it's the management company, the board, Somebody else has to verify that they've been given the report 
that the work has been performed and they have to then countersign it. And that's when the document's going to go into the Department of Buildings for the filing purposes. Are we filing this through the DOB Now platform or are you doing it in, by paper? Do you know yet? Because with the DOB Now platform for certain filings, we do it online and through the DOB Now portal. Is this something that you still have to go down to DOB and do it or is it all, all going to be electronic? Uh, it's going to be right now. It's still manual. It's still they just put out the bulletin saying, but I'm sure it's going to go into the DOB now platform. Yeah, because they want to probably digitalize all the photos and everything else that are going to go with it. Yeah. Um. So this is potentially expensive because we know that if there are leaks, we have to take care of it. On average, for any building of any size, and it might have different tiers. But what are you seeing as if we had to repipe? if we had to go and replace piping and if there was a gas shutdown and we had to replace that, what's the average per unit that you're seeing um, for smaller buildings, for mid-sized buildings? And this is just a tool that any building should be using as a benchmark so that we know in the next, you know, X amount of years, this is just a potential project that we have and we should factor in a cost for that and then factor in how we're going to pay for that. But what are you seeing? Well, with so many years experience doing these whole building shutdowns and, all this other work, the the average cost per apartment is no less than $4,000 an apartment by the time you begin a gas shutdown for an entire building and gas is restored. Right. The amount of time that it takes for the work to be accomplished is always dependent on the access in the building. Mm. And one of the things when we sit with the boards and we discuss after a building's been shut down and what's going on is it takes the same number of man hours to do a project. You want to turn around, and if you want to cater to everybody and only be home when they want to be home, easily your project can take six months. Yeah. You want to provide the access, we recommend that you work a 12-hour day. We recommend that you work six days a week, so this way... Those people who can't take off multiple times during a gas shutdown, you can access them when they get home at 4 o'clock. Maybe they can leave a little early. We can get the work done in their apartments on a Saturday. And this way the job moves smoothly. They can be done in as quickly as six weeks. So we're, um, we're talking a lot about buildings that are on oil they're in, or they're interruptible with gas. Some buildings like to go over just to firm gas, take away their oil. But with the way that this is moving, it's probably a good idea if they have already an oil tank on property and it's used in some capacity to keep using that in a, as a fail-safe because we were talking before, but if the utility shuts down service or if there's a leak and it's that gas service is, ser is servicing the boiler for the heat and hot water, you, sometimes there's separate heat and hot water components with a hot water tank, right? Um, you recommend, or you could tell me if I'm wrong, but do you recommend um, keeping the oil tank on premises so that should we have this gas issue, we could revert to oil and not interrupt heat and hot water? Okay. So if you have a building that turns around and is looking to do a gas conversion and move from either oil to gas or have oil and gas and they may want to eliminate the oil, we always recommend that they maintain the oil. Mm -hmm. You never know what the future is going to hold. It doesn't cost you anything other than some registration fees to maintain your yeah. tank that's in the basement and 
doing your triennial air emissions inspection that you have to do on both gas and oil, keeping the oil is always a fail safe for what could happen with the gas line. If you have a leak on a gas line and, you're, and you only have heat for your building through gas, you're going to be going through the expense and the time of putting a temporary boiler outside and yeah. running the pipes into the building in order to be able to keep your building in heat and hot water. And it's tremendous. It's a tremendous expense because I looked into it once for a smaller building, actually, that you guys were working on because they were only on gas. They never had oil. But it, it was $50,000 um, off the bat just for the time frame that they were looking at. And it was just something that the building couldn't absorb because, as you said, it's $4,000 a unit. It's a smaller building. They were already absorbing a huge expense on the gas side. And this was a shutdown that was due to the utility, an issue that popped up, and then they had to repipe. But um, I had a building that transitioned out of oil because the oil tank was old, and we were worried that it wouldn't survive much longer. And they decided to go over to all firm gas so they just decommissioned the um oil tank but they're going to run into an issue with an issue if this ever happens where again you know it's the expense of um the upfront cost of the temporary boiler versus the the prevent the preventative and ongoing maintenance of the existing oil tank you know it's like that catch 22 it's a 50 50 if you have an indoor oil tank that's in a room that's a dry room mm -hmm. there's never an issue with it yeah. If you're one of those complexes or a building that has an outdoor underground oil tank, the number of regulations that have changed over the last few years in the Department of Environmental uh, Conservation has created that every one of the underground tanks have to be tested every single year now. Right. There's other monitoring that has to be done. Underground tanks, which are originals dating back to the 60s, really shouldn't be left in the ground anymore. Those right. Absolutely. It's time and to move what, forward. Uh, what's the percentage of an underground tank that's, uh, the, what's the percentage that's in, not accessible that's considered to be underground? It's it's some percentage. It's 10%. Yeah, which is not much. I mean, if, you, if you're blocked off from 10% of the tank, it's not technically underground, but the state considers it to be underground. Well, what happens is in a lot of the brownstones in Manhattan, in the basements where the ceilings aren't full height, mm -hmm. They turned around and they dug out part of the floors and countersunk the oil tanks so they can fit in the room. Right. And those tanks are sitting within the dirt of the, mm. of the buildings. They're, if there's water leak, a waste leak, or anything in the building, they're subjected. Many buildings in Manhattan have water that runs through the basement because of underground streams. Right. This all has to be taken into account, and each building knows what, the, what they have in their own building. They know if they deal with groundwater. They know if they have constant leaks. They know if the if there's been no maintenance done at all and the building's been neglected. Uh, you know, those buildings are always a problem. The buildings that are on top of it and do a regular maintenance program, have their supers that are on top of them, do walkthroughs and have conversations. Walk in the basement. You see just how dirty it is, and that makes the difference. If it's a cluttered yeah. mess, you're going to have more potential plumbing problems, gas problems, oil problems than you are for a building that's well-maintained and kept clean. Do you have any recommendations while we're moving forward with all these buildings on um, just how we could keep our pipes down there, just free and clear of any issues? What, what should we as managing agents also and as board members be looking at as we're staff members? What should, what should be on our mind as we walk through these basements and common areas that have meters and have piping? So Local Law 152 came about because everybody just 
put their head in the sand and neglected anything that went on with gas piping and didn't care about the conditions. They figured gas piping, it's off in the room. Most times you open the door to a gas meter room, the light bulb doesn't even work. It's always a dark room. Mm -hmm. The same holds true for everything. Just because it's not in your living room or in your lobby, everything that happens behind the closed doors in the basement makes a difference on whether you have water at your faucet, heat at your radiator, and the comforts you experience. So your infrastructure down in the basement needs to be addressed. It should be inspected once a year, gone through, because there's always capital work that needs to be done, whether it's on a one-year plan, a three-year plan, a five-year plan, or a 10-year plan. Remember, an average life expectancy of a boiler is 20 years. That's what the manufacturer puts a warranty on it and prorates it for a reason. Right. Most boilers are running 50, 60 years. Yeah. And people want to, they get upset when they find out they have to change a boiler and they haven't cared about it for 60 years. Right. So being proactive, doing some sort of an inspection, whether it's with a trained professional, whether it's with your managing agent, whether or not it's with your super. If he's a good super and astute super, he can tell you what you need to do because he's experiencing the problems. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you? What's your phone number? I'll give you my office. <laughs> not yourself. So. <laughs> 718-441-6800. My name is Gregory Quatlander, and I'm available at any time. And your website is? It's nyplumbing.com. It's easy to remember. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I think we hit everything local O152 related. I learned a lot. We did. Yeah. At any time, we can talk about anything else. Good. Well, thank you for coming on. And again, if you want to email the show, nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. We would love it, again, if you subscribe and if you would share the podcast with somebody that would enjoy it. We love getting new listeners. And please reach out if you have any questions or if you want to, even if you want to come on the show and you have something interesting to say about New York City real estate or anything related, we'd be more than happy to have you. And Greg, we'll have you back on another topic. Thank you very right. much. Thank you.